Hello and welcome back. This is Ends with Z and today we are wrapping up our series on friendship and I'm sure we're going to revisit it again in the future. In the past we've talked about friendship, frenemies, friends at work, the work that it takes to make friends and keep friends and the difficulties some people have making friends and at different stages of their lives. I'm Juan Fernandez along with Cecile Munoz. Hi Cecile. Hi Juan and hi Sean who's also joining us in studio. Not on the mic today. Not on the mic Mm -hmm. today because we are very fortunate to have a very good friend to the podcast Mm -hmm. and our favorite psychotherapist John Silampares. Hello John. Hello thanks for having me again. It is our pleasure. We're Mm -hmm. happy that you're here. We've been talking about friends and friendship and also just overall relationships, what makes a good relationship. And we certainly have our perspective. We've been friends for well over 20 years, but we wanted to gain from your perspective and and, um, your thoughts and and, uh, how you would advise us also um, to make better relationships. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. John, my first question to you is how important are friendships for people? Well, um, not only from personal experience, but from Mm -hmm. being a psychotherapist for so many years, um, they're extremely vital. Mm -hmm. Um, They're vital in many ways. Um, You know, there's a great quote that says, it is through others that we develop into ourselves. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, we we didn't evolve in a vacuum. You know, Mm -hmm. we evolved with uh, interdependence Mm -hmm. with other people. So we define ourselves through others. And if you go back, you know, to early man, caveman, cavewoman, um, sort of the evolutionary reasons for for friendships, they were important for people to have outside of the tribe and outside of the family mm-hmm. to be able to cooperate so that, you know, people don't kill each other. <laughs> um, so um, those were really important. So, uh, you know, evolutionarily, the friendliest were the ones that survived. And as we know, interesting, right? Yeah, because you would think, and and maybe it's more of an American ideology that mm-hmm. the survival of the fittest, the mm-hmm. the strongest, the alpha, all mm-hmm. of those things, mm-hmm. and but it's the one that was the friendliest. Is it because the ability to to commune with others, the ability to to rally people, the qualities that we think are are great qualities in someone who we think and admire as yeah. a leader, the person who can extend their hand and and say hello. Right. Exactly. So, look, we needed people, others to cooperate with and mm-hmm. to depend on for right. supplies and for for uh, to get through winters mm-hmm. and to, to have food and stuff like that. So it was based on friends that you make and friends that you help as well as friends that help you. So the cooperative effort was really important. Um, and, um, you know, so the, the selective advantage of having friends has to do with the fact that, as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. humans are social species, are very social species, and we just we survive through the help of others. Um, and you know, it's 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 always been I scratch your back and you scratch my back. And and I know that uh, in the '60s and '70s and uh, different periods of of time, people gravitate to living in a commune. It went from being something that was very popular from periods of, of mm-hmm, our American mm-hmm, history mm-hmm. to almost seen as a fringe thing. But I can see after COVID, I can see the appeal of having a tight knit community because that's we mm-hmm. with my close friends with us we created this close-knit community there's a couple of people in my network that were that are ill or have very very compromised immune systems that all our friends we all rallied and we wouldn't let her go to the grocery store we all did mm-hmm. different things for each other we protected each we other, protected right? each mm-hmm. other to 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 make sure that we we got through that um together 
so I, I, I appreciate that this is almost in our DNA is what you're saying. As a species, it's in our DNA to, to create relationships that have helped us it is. survive. It's a survival skill. It's, it may not even be conscious. It's wow. just something that we naturally do. The other part is the psychological part. We know that when you are in, when you experience positive experiences with mm-hmm. re, within relationships and social settings, especially, I don't mean love and intimacy. I just mean oh, okay. at a party or when you connect with somebody, that releases, that ignites the part of the brain that makes you happy. So mm. naturally, that's going to impel you to seek more friends. You're not realizing that you're doing that, but you're just drawn to that. And they know, studies show that oxytocin is released. Mm-hmm. You know the right, love right. drug. Mm-hmm. I mean the love chemical. The love hormone, sorry. And that is the, the hormone that's associated with care and protection and, um, you know, and, and building bonds. So if that's released in the brain, every time, you know, we laugh together mm-hmm. and we connect, naturally we're going to be drawn to wow. that because it makes us feel good. So again, it's protection and it makes us feel good. So they're not always the most noble reasons mm-hmm. why we seek friends. It's not like this beautiful, poetic, romantic reason, although there's part of that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really a very practical thing to have friends. So let me ask you this. So if if that is what's released in your brain when you have a, a positive experience with, with somebody else, can you does the same thing happen in your brain when you're... I don't know how to say this. It sounds a little weird. When you're when you're at home alone having a, a good time by yourself, is it is it is it only is this released only when it's a communal situation? <laughs> I know where you went with that. <laughs> I didn't mean to go there. It just sounded a little bit odd. So it, my question is: Can if I'm someone that says I don't need friends, I'm just fine by myself. I'll take care of myself. I'll take care yeah. of myself. Is do you get the same? Um, reward? Do you get the same uh, hormonal release? I'm not sure. I'm sure there's some release if there's some benefit to doing anything. Remember, mm-hmm. anything that all of us do all the time, <clears throat> if you didn't get a benefit from it, you wouldn't do it. You only eat foods that you like or you think are good for you uh, because it gives you a benefit. You don't do a lot of things all That's the time true. that don't give you a benefit. That's true. You just wouldn't Unless do it. Unless we have to. Yeah. So being alone sometimes gives you a benefit, but statistically people do not do well in the long run alone. They don't live long. They you, they have more instances of depression and anxiety, and that's part of the DNA too. The selective sort of like DNA has discovered that, nah, if you're alone, it doesn't perpetuate the durability of the species, so you better start seeking partners. Wow. Because in the great... It's taking care of... Yeah, the, it makes the sense. evolution is taking care of us. It's nature making sure that the species perpetuates. That's why the pandemic was so difficult because it went against the grain of seeking That's comfort right. in numbers. That's a lot. That's, yeah. That is a, a quotable. It went against the grain of uh, seeking comfort in numbers. I know that some of the great research that Sean, our executive producer, did in preparation for all of this that we've been talking about friends and why friends and why do we need friends and what makes a good friendship versus a, a bad friendship or, or a negative friendship and the the, the benefits of it, um, not to sound um, just opportunistic, but the the research and the stats show that you have higher instances what was it Juan of heart disease and mental health stroke yes Mm -hmm. I mean some really the things that you read and you think these are the top five things I don't ever want to have in my life and and it's directly correlated to to friendship and so it's true talk to us a little bit more about what you see or what you have uh, in the work that you do in a post-pandemic world yeah a lot of people not only had a hard time, and I know you came on the show and were so great during the height of the pandemic, but I think now we're, we're beginning to see the deeper impact. 
I've seen many people have a hard time reintegrating, even though unofficially, sort of mm-hmm. officially, the pandemic's over. But people that used to be somewhat social who have now been unsocial and have been more isolative, it's hard for them to get back into it again. Why do you mm-hmm. think that is, John? Because there's something much more comfortable about being alone, even though, again, evolutionarily, it's the inkling is to go out and reach out. Mm-hmm. But there's always risk in reaching out. There's rejection. There's right. a heartache. There's pain. There's breakups. And so I think a lot of people have gone back into their uh, their, their, their sort of shells, so to speak, and I've been working with a lot of people to draw them out, but it's a very slow process. How do you start that process, John? Well, coming to therapy is a process mm-hmm. uh, right there because I'm trying to incline people to not just do the virtual stuff, mm-hmm. the virtual sessions right. that to come into therapy. Because mm-hmm. if you drive in, you know, you see other people, you talk to the mm-hmm. parking attendant, you go to the Starbucks. So even that, even though that's not a friendship, that's contact. Mm-hmm. And contact is really important. But the main thing is, is how do you start that? Allow people to be there for you, to listen. I think that a couple of episodes ago, actually your first friendship episode, uh-huh. you talked about how maybe listening is a good way for that's people right. to build friendships mm-hmm. again. And we know that if you listen to somebody attentively uh, who doesn't get listened to often, even for a short period of time, it's kind of like giving them oxygen. Mm -hmm. So when you're isolated like that and you want to reintegrate somebody, you want to try to just have conversations. And I work on that daily. You you mentioned listening. I I, I make a conscious effort. My mind will start wandering, listening Mm -hmm. to someone, and I just have to refocus. And I listen, and I don't offer advice. I don't offer a solution. And yeah, I agree with you. It does make a good friend. And that's why also having the wrong type of friend in your life that you give, that you listen to and you give oxygen to can can have its negative effects. And what Juan just said is brilliant too, which is that oxygen is really just Mm -hmm. clean listening. It's not solutions. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try Mm -hmm. that? Or, Or even criticism or scrutiny. So it's really, really listening. And that is very healing. Because offering have... advice could sound like you're judging the person, right? It's like you're doing it or wrong. Let them. me tell you mm-hmm. yeah. how to fix it. Yeah, most of the time, uh, the people that have come to me over the years, they don't necessarily want solutions or interventions. Really? Interesting. They, they just want to be heard. Wow. And so that builds trust. And speaking of that, listen to this quote about friendship by uh, Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm-hmm. He says, this is different than the evolutionary reason and the psychological reason. This is, the glory of friendship is not the outstretched hand, not the kindly smile, nor the joy of companionship. It is the spiritual inspiration that comes to one when you discover that someone else believes in you and is willing to trust you. So Belief in, and trust. So in mm-hmm. trust means I'm trusting you to listen to me and I'm trusting you to really open myself up, mm-hmm. maybe spill my guts, I don't know, spill my beans. Mm-hmm. That builds a lot of, um, that's like putting money in the bank in a relationship. And it builds a bond between yeah. two people. Yeah. Right? That's what builds mm-hmm. the bond. Oxytocin flies when you're being listened to. And that's what we need more of. That's what you need more of. And there's wow. no food in the world, there's no prophylactic way to get that true oxytocin Not in really. your body. Not, the human connection is the most potent yeah. in that sense. And leave it to a poet to put it so beautifully and so simplistically, right? He's not talking about the, the stretched out hand. He's not talking about the gestures, the, the more um, 
uh, overt ways, showing up with flowers, all those things are nice, but really being listened to and being present Mm -hmm. and allowing that person to be vulnerable in front of you is the most beautiful way of, of being a friend and building trust. Yeah, I think that if you took two people that were good friends, any any people that are good mm-hmm. friends, and you say, what is it that makes this friendship? Most people will say many things, but they will always include, I trust him mm-hmm. and I trust her. Mm-hmm. I trust her with my words. I feel he or she has my back, not monetarily, but emotionally. Right. That to me is what builds the bond. So you brought that up last time, so thank you for that. And John, we were talking in... in one of the prior podcasts and also that at different stages of our life we have built different friendships some friendships are still here like the, the three of us we've been friends for more than two decades and some go by by the wayside if you will some of them <clears throat> go beyond what we expected and some of them we leave behind um and sean said that his point of view was we we seek the friends that we need at that point in our life. Mm-hmm. And we thought Juan and I had never thought about it mm-hmm. that way and it, it makes sense. What do, what do you think? What is your perspective as, as a psychotherapist? What do you think, um, why do we gravitate to certain people? Why do we build the, the friends? And do you think it's at different stages of our life, we look for different things in friends? Agreed. I think that we, as time goes by, perspectives change, we change, mm-hmm. we have different needs. You know, the good friends that I had in college and high school, I still talk to a few of them, but I don't feel we have a lot in common. Mm. And at the time, they were great for what that was, fitting in, mm-hmm. partying and all that stuff. Right now, I'm not into that stuff. I don't know that they are either, but I don't know that I'd want to start all that up again with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have brand new friends. Uh, it's on a different level. And that's what I need now. Hopefully... I won't need a new set of friends in the yeah. next 10 or 15 years because it's hard to make friends as you get older. It is. But um, yeah, so yeah, I, I think that at the time, Sean's right. I think at the time, um, you know, we need what we need and there's nothing wrong with coming back to a friendship. That's you right. said you had dinner with somebody That's that you right. hadn't talked to in mm-hmm. a long time. That could reignite something. But even if it doesn't, that was okay. I'm okay with, mm-hmm. you know, maybe grieving the good things about the relationship that I can't have anymore, but I'm not going to push something because I need to feel safe with that person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I want to do that with everybody yeah. all over again. So I mentioned the connective tissue, right? Yeah. You lose the connective tissue. You said you mentioned high school friends, college friends. You lose that link. And perhaps there's less of a reason to, to stay friends. That's right. As you move forward in life, right? Why Connected do you think it's harder for us to make friends? As when, we get older? As we get older. I say <laughs> that because we know ourselves better. Yeah. And we, we it, perhaps is less about fitting in and, and more about some, having deeper things in common. But why do you think it's, it's harder for us to make friends when we get older? I'll speak for myself that I know that for me it's harder to make friends because as I get older I get more set in my ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe I get a little more curmudgeon and a little more <laughs> I don't know stubborn about what I want what I don't oh, want. Yeah. And also um, I think that uh, in the old days my friends were really about people that I wanted to have fun with. Mm-hmm. And it was less about what I had in terms of common values. And I just I think that I don't want to sound like a snob, but I think that my needs are a little more sophisticated now, and I want to connect on deeper levels instead of just, hey, let's go down to the beach and go on a bike ride, or let's go hiking. I like that too, but I'd rather, you know, have more mm-hmm. of a of a deeper conversation and more of a deeper connection. And those, 
in my world have been a little bit harder to find. I think as we get older, our time is more precious too. So the time we want to spend with our friends Very is good. even more special, mm -hmm. right? Yes, that's right. I read this really great quote. The, talk is, the clock is ticking. Yeah, right. I, I read this no great kidding. quote what, that where it read, uh, it's not that life is short, is that we just waste too much damn time. And I think that that's, <laughs> right. you know, it's, yeah. I, I, I say I'm going to live as long as I'm going to live. I, I really can't control that. But I, what I can control is, is how I spend my time. So what, how, do we, how do we know if we have a good relationship or a good friendship or not? And how do we extricate ourselves from, from some that are not good? So that's a great question. So what I always tell people is think of the, there's a diagram that shows the circles of intimacy. Mm -hmm. I've and, seen that. Right. So the outside is the public layer, mm -hmm. right? I'm a 61-year-old man. I'm five foot seven. Good for you. You I'm, look great. I didn't realize <laughs> you were that old. I'm half Latino, half Greek. I don't know. You might be able to identify that. Then that's what everybody knows. Then there's the acquaintance layer where you know I'm a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. I right. know where you live. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I know what you all do for a living. But that's about it. Mm -hmm. So then, then there's the, the friendship layer. So acquaintance layer, you still have not let down your guard at all. Mm -hmm. You don't tell people a lot of personal things about yourself. Friendship layer changes. That's where you let down your guard just a little bit, and you start to test the waters with people. You might tell them a little bit about how I'm struggling in my marriage or how I've been anxious these mm -hmm. days or how I just lost my job or something mm -hmm. like that. And then you have the intimacy layer where... You know, all psychologists say you don't want to have too many people in the intimacy layer, maybe three or four really? people throughout your life. A therapist, a spouse, siblings, good friends. You don't want to have too many in Why? there. Why? Because then uh, if you have to, because it's a special place and those places are, the, the fewer people you have, the less chances you have of getting hurt. Is it also because of an influence when you're when you're that vulnerable and that open to someone? And well, I guess it's the same thing. Is yeah. more more the fewer you're safer. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is a lot of people what they do is they jump from acquaintance layer to intimacy layer too quickly, and then they get burned, and then they forget that oh, I forgot to go through the stages of friendship, and if I do that. I can develop those possibly into intimacy layer. And so that's a better progression because you asked how do you build mm -hmm, friends mm -hmm. is to go through the protocol. Public layer, acquaintance layer, and then work your way into friendship layer before you do anything else. And that involves taking small risks and building trust. You know, I've seen those <laughs> Venn diagrams where they have the, 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 the circles and then inside of parts of those circles you see where your your intimate relationships your your romantic relationships sit your your mm -hmm. platonic relationships and friendship and then where you sit in all of this but i've never thought about it or heard it articulated as you've got to go through all of these you've got to take that friendship on a journey and i i look at the two of you and we went through that we met it That's at right. a public place. We met at a, at a dance class. Level one. Level one. Uh -huh. We started have talking. We There's something more. Level, Level two. two. <laughs> we would start going to lunch and hang out. And then we started spending more time together, traveling together, level three. And now something happens drastic in our lives where the, we call each yeah. other first. Right. So the healthy person has many acquaintances, many, many acquaintances. It's healthy to have mm -hmm. that. Then you have a few less friends. But still, you want healthy friends and very few in the intimacy layer. So the goal is to try to create more friendship layer people and less acquaintance layer people. 
it's, we're always going to have acquaintances, mm-hmm. but the friendships are the ones that endure. And again, given the evolutionary conversation we just had, that creates abundance. If you have friends, those beget other friends, and then you meet other friends, but not to the level where you break down so much. So how do you know that you're that you you have a foundation a good foundation to build good friends i would say first you have to obviously know yourself know who you are know what you need in your life um before you you go out there and say i'm gonna let this person and this person in my life how, how do we go about making sure that we have good friends in our life very very slowly I tell people, mm. take your time, slow everything down. And that is just not us. That's I know. just not our culture. It's so especially if you have an infatuation and you have a sexual attraction, then you go from sometimes public layer and slight acquaintance right into intimacy layer. Mm-hmm. Then you wake up in the morning that's like, oh my God, that's not what I wanted. Um, so I think, I, think that, that, I think those are called the, the dating apps. Or yeah, exactly. what, I don't even know the names of them. Whatever so it's they're called. time and it's taking small risks, as I said, opening up yourself just a little bit each time and exploring like-minded uh, values, exploring mm-hmm. like-minded likes and things like that. Mm-hmm. A lunch, a dinner, um, you know, getting to meet somebody else's friends. But I think time is really the factor. John, in the last uh, podcast, we spoke about uh, friends at work. So are friends mm. at work more of an acquaintance when it comes to those layers? Great question. Um, I think most people have should keep acquaintance layer, especially if you're in a higher position. Yes. You're probably going to have That's more right. acquaintance mm-hmm. layer than you That's want right. friendships. Because mm-hmm. my dad used to always say, too much familiarity breeds contempt. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to have too many friends at work. But naturally, you're going to have friends mm-hmm. at work. Sometimes those create negative clicks, and that's not always mm-hmm. the best thing. So that's a great question. I personally would rather have friends than acquaintances at work, but I think it's safer to have acquaintances at work. Mm. How do we break up with a friend that is not, where it's just not working for us or not working for, for you, where you think this is just not healthy? Because I know losing a friend when you really care about someone, it can be devastating. I've had friends who... Unfortunately, um, there was betrayal there, and I, I, I could not allow that person in my life. I had a friend mm-hmm. who I, I, I loved her very dearly like a sister. She mm-hmm. was married. I was friends with her husband as well. They were wonderful, lovely, lovely people. And come to find out um, that she was having an affair, and we were supposed to spend some time together um, out of town for an event, and that's how I found out she was having an affair. With somebody that you knew? Somebody, somebody I didn't know that close. person well, okay. but I knew she was. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to her, I, I, can't, I can't be party to this because I cannot look at your husband in the face next time we get together oh, yeah. and pretend like there's nothing wrong. I, will now, I am now an accomplice to your lies, yep. and I can't do that. You're keeping that secret too. I can't. Yeah. Right. And it, and uh, we, we lost our friendship for a while because she said, if you love me and you're my friend, you're like my sister, you'd keep my secret. I said, if you were my sister, I'd be smacking you over the head and saying, what are you doing? If you're <laughs> right. not happy, go have a conversation with your husband. We later came back and became friends and she came clean with her husband and they're still married and they're happy. They were able to work through that. But I, I mourned that loss. It was, it was really hard and, and it was hard for me because I questioned... Some people say that I, I look at things too black and white, um, but I am who I am. 
So if relationships, again, like we discussed, those alliances that we build up early that we need to survive um, are so important to us and they are basically for our survival, then we're going to be susceptible to betrayal. We're going to be susceptible mm-hmm. to jealousy because, again, that's my survival. Um, one of my uh, survival tools, this friend that is not going to be a friend anymore or I can't be that with that person anymore. So it's a big, big rupture in that relationship and because it's so important it's hard to imagine how having to heal it in some Mm -hmm. way so you feeling that way to me is a testament to your ability to bond to people Mm. and your ability to have deep friendships real friendships Mm -hmm. do ultimatums and if then statements have any room in a friendship it seems like cecile was being told if you are my friend then you will do this and that i think it's putting her on the spot we hear those a lot Mm. and um I don't know what you want to call that ego or protection or defense mechanism, but sometimes, you know, like Sean was saying, um, the connective tissue is broken for a little while. Mm-hmm. You don't know that in five, 10, 15 years, you're going to come back to that person. But at this time, you two can't be friends. Yeah, no, that, it was it was really hard. And uh, it, it was it was shocking because it, I saw a side of her and, and look, we're all human. We're all fallible. We all make mistakes. I clearly didn't know everything that was happening in in her marriage and mm-hmm. she had a right to feel mm-hmm. and do but I also had a right not to to be a party to that so how do we know if it's a healthy relationship what are some of the signs where maybe we, we don't even realize that um, that you have friends in your life that shouldn't be in your life I think again coming back to the listening if there's reciprocity and everyone gets listened to and one doesn't dominate the other conversation or dominate the other person there has to be some balance and some equality Mm -hmm. some people have so many so much history of damaged relationships from their family of origin Mm. that it's hard for them to maintain real friends like they get hurt very easily if someone doesn't call them back immediately and then that's hard to figure out is that your family of origin stuff getting in the way or are we just not compatible Mm -hmm. Mm. so there's so much around that but how do you know when you have a good relationship again I think it's how much time has gone by? Has this person proved himself to be loyal to me? Is there reciprocity? And do they listen to me? And mainly, am I is the oxytocin flying yeah. when I feel with them? I mean, when I talk to them. Yeah, when when you when I know that whenever You'll we get know. To, whenever we get together, we uh-huh. always feel good. We we when we say goodbye to each other, we smile, we hug because it feels. It and feels, you kind of leave on a high. Like yeah. when I walk away from you two at the end of the uh, the podcasting. I feel good. I get in my car. I, I go over what we've done the last hour or two. So yeah, yeah I agree with that. Yeah. So, but why do you think that is? But so, forget the oxytocin conversation. Okay. Why do you think that is? Obviously, these are two special people. But what right. else? The well, therapist I, is in. That's well, a good I, question. I, I, well, I always I think, and I actually talked to somebody about uh, this at work yesterday, and I mentioned it in the podcast. People remember how you make them feel, mm-hmm. right? I know how they make me feel. I know I could share things, and and we can bounce ideas back and forth with each other with, with no judgment. I, I do welcome advice or I do welcome a fix if, if needed. So I don't know. I think it's just one of those things. It's it's like you mentioned in your DNA. I just walk away or drive away feeling pretty good. Like that was a good day. That was a good podcast. I called Cecile last night and said, hey, I re-listened to our podcast, um, our, our latest one. And it was really great. The three of us had this great back and forth, this bouncing around. I even laughed at something I said myself um, yeah. in the podcast. So I don't know. It's just one of those things. It was and actually, even, it's funny. You you sent me a text and said, are you home? 
and I know that's when he's doing the news. So instead of responding to the text, I called him. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> he's uh. like, yeah, I just, that because that's just my instinct. Yeah. I know his life. I know yeah. his schedule. And I thought if he's texting me, are you at home? Something might be wrong. And that text, John, was to say, I just listened to the podcast and it was great. again and I thought it was great. <laughs> so yeah, that's what that was about. So I'm not a spiritual person or a religious person, but mm-hmm. that what you just described to me is connecting to some kind of universality about what keeps us all together. You three connect on so many different ways. And when you walk away feeling good, it isn't just that you're like-minded and you guys do a podcast together and you've known each other for 20 mm-hmm. years. I think you're tapping into something that tapped into all of these people in the beginning. Uh, that friendship is there. It's almost like when you hear a good song on the radio mm-hmm. and you're like so pumped. What is that? I mean, is it just the yeah. tonality of the music that pumps you up? Something happened there. And I think friendships do that too, beyond the oxytocin. I like that the, uni- really like the universality that. Mm-hmm. of friendship, of co- and connection. A connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that when we go against that grain, the pain and the suffering happens in layers that we don't even yeah. acknowledge. Talk to us about. So we talked about COVID and what what that did, the isolation. Um, what about technology? We talk a lot about that. I I I think that as many great things that technology and social media and these platforms provides we can't stop it we can't roll back the clock we can't you know we can't put it back in that little black box it's here and it's going to continue to evolve what what has that done to first and foremost the quality of friendships that we create and the quality of relationships that we create you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube no you cannot um so i think this was going on even before the pandemic you know all of this social media you can talk to people all over the world, but you're not really having real conversations. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes you're having fake relationships and conversations mm. with people that you don't even know who you're talking to. So that substitute for that, I don't think is ever going to really substitute the human connection and being in a room. Like if the four of us were doing this podcast online, it would still be great, but I actually enjoy being with the yeah. four of you, with the yeah. three of you. So it makes a big difference mm-hmm. for me. So yeah, I think that social media and all that technology has decayed the, the value and the quality of friendships in a big way. Yeah. And that is a direction that we're going and we have to just, we have to be better at it. I think that's why schools needing to open up was important. So kids get socialization, getting back to work in so many different ways is important. Um, that's why vaccines are important so everybody feels mm-hmm. safe that's a whole nother conversation mm-hmm. so yeah I, I'm I'm hot and cold about the technology in terms of communication I I remember reading some research that I think she started doing it in 2012 from 12 to 15 a, a psychologist who was already showing back then long before the pandemic how it was it was uh, minimizing already the the amount of time that parents spent with their children. It was it was eroding that relationship. Mm-hmm. It was creating uh, higher levels of anxiety in mm-hmm. in young kids, even preteens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought about something that you said: the layers or the stages of friendship, the acquaintances. You have a lot of people that feel special and feel seen, and maybe feel like they have all these friends because they have five hundred followers. Right. Those are mm-hmm. those are barely acquaintances. I don't even know that I would, would call them acquaintances. They're yeah. they're they're consumers or they're followers. They're they're not to me. They're not even acquaintances. But people feel special and valued and seen. They do, but again, 
I, I used to be agnostic about this, but I'm not anymore. I really, really what what caused the the break there? <laughs> the change, just time and the way that I've seen this in my clients. Mm. Um, you know, uh, talking to me once a week virtually, talking to their parents in New York because they couldn't travel. They deteriorated. They went downhill. Wow. They did wow. not do well, especially wow. people with pre-existing mental health conditions. But not all of them, but a lot of them did. I did. I I didn't do well. Those, uh, you know, the in March of 2020, before we had the vaccines mm-hmm. in January, so mm-hmm. there was about eight, eight or nine months there. Mm-hmm. I didn't do well at home. Uh, you know, I live alone, so doing my sessions at home and not seeing people very often. Um, so yeah, I think it really, really eroded uh, the human spirit and the ability to make friendships. Uh, too many acquaintance layer relationships in general is too much. But when you're online and you're speaking virtually to people, it's basically all acquaintance. It's hard to create mm-hmm. real deep friends just virtually like that. I would agree with mm-hmm. you. And mm-hmm. I have had this conversation with a couple of uh, Gen Zers. Mm-hmm. And they say, you don't understand that old adage, because I guess we're now at that generation, the old adage of your generation believes this, my generation believes that. And... I will give them, it is, in my opinion, every generation's right to create their own language. All of us have words that we use that are that are specific to our generation and our culture and our That's stage right. in our yeah. life. And and I and I believe that every generation has rights to their own feelings and their own perspective of how they're changing the world or how their world is different. But on this point, I don't cave. That's right. I'm not because I, it's human evolution. I'm I'm not agnostic anymore about it. I am completely sure positive. Because you're seeing the proof, obviously. I am. Uh, look at kids. What what are kids doing most of the time? And you can't take their phone away from them. You have information. You have news. Mm-hmm. You'd be able to communicate with anybody. But kids used to hang out. They go to, mm-hmm. would go to the right. playground. They used to go and and do all kinds of activities together. They do that a lot less. So um, teenage depression is up. Teenage drug addiction is up. Uh, teenage isolation. They're calling it the loneliness epidemic. Teenagers are the demographic that we don't hear a lot about uh, that were affected by the pandemic as much as we hear from adults. Yes. Teenagers and, got whacked. Yeah. Wow. That's a, uh, you don't, you normally don't talk in those kind of extremes, John, but that's, uh, I, that to me has a lot of weight coming from you. And yes, we see the, all the reporting is coming out about loneliness, loneliness yep. just being such a weight. Uh, the, um, uh, we are now recommending or the, the, the medical association, health association is recommending that people are tested for uh, anxiety. But loneliness is something that is yep. really. It used to be seniors, 65 and older. Mm-hmm. And now it's like eight to 18. They want children to come in. Is that right, John, to, to be Test diagnosed your- or tested for anxiety and depression, right? Yeah, they're finally starting to screen. In other words, the healthcare system is finally starting to pair up with the mental health department um, uh, field so that proper screening for almost anybody now is not just, hey, you know, what's your cholesterol level and let me check mm-hmm. your heart. It's have you been feeling down in the dumps mm-hmm. lately? You know, are you getting sleep? Do you feel anxious a lot? So that's the way that we're going to destigmatize mental illness yeah. more and we're actually going to get, you know, people better mm-hmm. uh, in the future. But- I was surprised by that when I went to my last medical checkup, the nurse who kind of does the vitals and checks your mm-hmm. temperature and your blood pressure. One of the questions she asked before the doctor came in is, 
Do you feel safe at home? Wow. Um, how's your mental state? Are, are you feeling oh. happy today? And it took me um, by <laughs> surprise. Good nurse. Because I'm like, wait a second. Um, is even she your, saying even something your, I don't see? I mean, why is she asking me Juan, even your face, you have this, this face, this look on your face that says WTF. Why I'm is like, she I'm a happy you? guy. What are you talking about? But that's great, right? Because you could always write notes in there. The doctor can come in and, and they can address that. And as you were saying, perhaps that day, if I wasn't feeling well or... Or, or whatnot, if I was just listened to, if the doctor listened to me and gave right. me some sort of comfort, that may have been all I needed. It has to be part of the assessment protocol. Look, it's very important when a doctor says to you, you know what, it sounds like you're suffering from some depression. Let me give you this card and you should go talk to Dr. So-and-so. If a white coat in a respectable place like UCLA Medical mm -hmm. tells you that maybe yes. you should go talk to a therapist, people take that seriously. Oh, yeah. I believe very. I important. was thinking about that. The just, power of the card. Yes, just the, the. I like that power of the card. Just the fact that someone in a in a in a position of authority and, mm -hmm. and knowledge that mm -hmm. you don't have mm -hmm. asks you the question, even if it took you that moment, even though you had this look on your face, to say, <clears throat> "Well, how am I feeling?" Well, I had to think. Safe at home. What do you mean, safe at home? I mean, <laughs> am I walking question. on wet tiles or something? <laughs> I mean, you know, wasn't that's that's where I went. Did Dad leave the knives out? Right, exactly. I just yeah. That's a great question. I'm impressed with that nurse or that doctor. Yeah, that was. UCLA Medical Center. We and love that place. Got to give them props. They they took care of me when I needed them. So yeah. Yeah, I I. I'm. I'm. I want to go back to mm -hmm. what you said that teenagers were were whacked in the pandemic. So how do we? I don't have children, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. And for our listeners who are parents out there, how how do you how do you teach? How do you coach? How do you? Because we learned it just by having by siblings doing. or doing. Mm -hmm. How do you in this generation coming out of a pandemic? How do you help your kids? who are always on the phone, learn how to have good relationships, good well, friendships. Remember, um, socialization needs for kids outside of the home. Now, a, a lot of kids do well with homeschooling, but most kids do better when they're in school. And they that just, seems to be a trend now, homeschooling. Like that's, I hear a lot of people talking about homeschooling. It's so much better. Uh, that's just another school of thought. Um, some people do well with that, especially kids that are super shy and maybe have a lot of social anxiety and have struggled in the classroom. Mm -hmm. That might be a good idea. Mm -hmm. But the socialization needs need to be met. And, you know, as my quote said before, that it is through others that we mm -hmm. develop into ourselves. Kids define who they are through mm -hmm. the eyes of others. Right. Otherwise, yep. all kids would be the same and life would be boring. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that. So you can't, it's a great question. I can't take the cell phone away from a kid, but... There can be um, disciplines in there where parents can get involved and say, you know, you only get two hours playing the video games. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, or at least when we have dinner, you got to turn off the phone. You got to turn off. You got to unplug. So you get the parents involved and you you get them in this sort of like regiment of thinking. I remember when I was a, a kid, maybe I was 12 or 13 or, or so, um, and I had a, a really good friend, her she lived not that far from me within walking distance because we used to walk everywhere. I grew up in a very small rural town. Mm -hmm. And her parents were farmers, so they would travel and they would follow the crops. Uh -huh. And I don't remember the gist of it, but she said something and I was upset that she was going to be leaving. So I was very curt and I was really mean to her. I said something that was not nice. How old were you at this point? 12. Maybe. 12, okay. <laughs> um, and so I remember that then, you know, she, she had a look in her face. We said something, she left. And my father came up and I adored my father and said, 
you know, you were not nice to her. That was really mean. And I thought about it and they left like at four o'clock in the morning. I had to sit for three months or two months the summer to not see her in the pain of it, in the, the, the weight of it. And I had to suffer the consequence. We didn't call each other because long distance phone calls were expensive mm-hmm. and we would write little letters. And I don't know that kids have that opportunity to to have to feel the loss and to feel the marinate in yeah, their sadness. Yeah, yeah, and to say, gosh, the, and to have parents have the opportunity to say, you know, that was really mean. And, and how do you do that when you're doing things over Zoom or everything's over text or you don't go to school and, and have the opportunity to be a mean kid to a friend and have to apologize. Right. And feel what it feels like to be unkind to someone else and feel the loss of you going, yeah, but that was a really shitty thing to do. And so getting back to friendships, uh, how do we form friendships? listening and all that stuff and experiencing what Mm -hmm. it's like to have a rupture in a relationship and then repair it. Another great quote is, the only reward of virtue is virtue. The only way to have a friend is to be one. Mm. So another way is to Mm -hmm. build friendships is is to learn how to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Empathy, right? And Mm -hmm. be able to express empathy regardless of what just happened. Like you three could be great friends and one day there might be a little bit of a spat, but good friends don't learn how not to fight they learn how to resolve these issues and the only way you're going to do that is to understand where each person is coming from and good friends do that they pull back and they say all right i'm a little bit upset about this Mm -hmm. but i have to be a friend to be to keep this friend and so the listening the mm-hmm. trust, and then putting yourself in the other person. It's also shoes. having your ego in check, right, John, to be able yes. to say, you know what, I'm sorry I said this, or did I say something that offended mm-hmm. you versus, well, she's not talking to me, so I'm not talking to her, and that's right. we're at an impasse, right? That's right. So when I do couples counseling, I have this, these protocol, these um, like commandments, so to mm-hmm. speak, mm-hmm. and one of the, two of them are, one is, you know, the couple, both couples have to be, both members of the couple have to agree to not be right. Like, do you want a relationship mm. oh, or do you want to be right? <laughs> you lost us on that one. No, that's, that's a tough we're one. Kidding, we're kidding. Yeah, but we're but kidding. it really works. Yeah. It really, really works. So giving up the need to be right and then taking responsibility, being accountable for what just happened and yeah. not necessarily saying that I, 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 I take back what I said. No, I still believe in what I said, but Cecile, I'm sorry that we fought. I love you. We're friends. And let's give it a couple of days, but you know we can still agree to disagree, and we can still stand where we are. But that's what good friends do. Mm-hmm. Friends who are not going to last are just like write them off and goodbye, and they're gone. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too. But if you two have known, you three have known each other for twenty years, that would be what we call an emotional cutoff. That's not healthy mm-hmm. for you or the other for person anybody. in the future. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we've never been there. Never. And I don't see us getting there either, John. Good, because the three of you have one of the most important things in, in a relationship is respect. Once yeah. the respect goes, That's adios. True. Yeah. That's true, because I know both of them, both Sean and Juan, have said things to me that um, it's not that I didn't want to hear. It was not what I, what I was choosing to do. But I know they said it to me because they loved me and they wanted the best for me. And I was able to say, mm-hmm. I, I see why you're saying that and, and, I, and, and it's a really valid point, but this is what I need to do for me now mm-hmm. because this is where I want to get to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take it as an insult and I didn't take it as, it, but they also said it in a way where it was, I'm saying this because I care about you and, and I love you and I see that you're in pain and, and here's my advice for you. 
Um, have you ever done couples counseling where it's they're, they're not romantic couples? Do friends ever come in for, for counseling? Because we saw that movie that we all yes. were very, very touched yes. by. Business partners and or people that just got divorced and they want to know how to stay divorced and stay friendly and court courteous and be good parents to the kids that have now been separated. Wow, that's that's wonderful. That's some wonderful awareness, that's right? That's some both wonderful awareness yeah. because... But all of that comes down to communication because getting back to friendship, again, listening, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, trust. The fourth and most important one is communication. So I believe that any relationship, friendship or uh, intimate, can survive any rupture, infidelity, can survive anything if you talk to the person with respect. So it's not about what I'm angry at, it's the way that I communicate it to you. So couples who are able to speak to each other respectfully can say anything, you know, throwing a chair out the window because you're angry, that's not gonna foster a deep relationship. It's the way that you deliver it. Wow. That's I, how you keep a relationship. I, I'm going to respect your comment that anything <laughs> can survive. If, with communication, even infidelity, because I, I have a perspective on that. So if two choose to want to do that, okay. one might be like, fidelity, trust broken, I'm out of there, which yeah. is, that would probably be me. Yeah. But a lot of people have, you know, put these relationships back together again. Really? Yeah. So I'm not just saying that you can heal fidelity. I apologize. Let me rephrase that. I'm saying you can talk about anything that you're angry at as long as you talk about it respectfully. If you're hitting below the belt... That if, I agree with. If you are being okay, disrespectful, yeah. forget mm. it. It won't work. And then I'll send the family on their way and I'll give them their money back. Really? Yeah, it's not going to work. You both have to agree to keep your side of the street clean and come to the session ready to admit what you've done wrong and how you can act differently and how you can speak in a more respectful way. That I agree with. Um, my father used to say, speak without offending, listen without defending. If you can do those things, then you're having an honest conversation. I like that. Or stick to your guns, but don't fire them. That, that nice. would have probably been more appropriate like for one. my dad. <laughs> I got guns, so don't F with me. But I'm not going to fire them, but don't F with me because I have feelings. Correct. I I li- I'm going to have to. That's going to be another another John Salamparisism that, that I'm going to. Like, uh, <laughs> it's discomfort, not not danger. Um, That's right. So I, 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 I agree with that because if... And, and it is hard and it's in every aspect of, of the communications that we have, be it with employees, with friends, um, where I, I, if I'm, I may be really upset and I may be really rightfully upset at what you just did, but I want to have a, a real conversation about this so that we can get beyond it. And, and, and Juan, you just brought up a, uh-huh. an example before we started uh, the podcast that generation, generationally certain generations um, now uh, find it. Uh, as a way to deal with something uncomfortable, they just start crying. And Juan said, Cecil, have you ever, when you were talking to an employee or somebody, uh, and mm-hmm. they just started crying as a way to to stop me from telling that person what I think. It's not what I want to hear, right? It's not so, what I want to hear. Tears. So I'm, gonna, I'm tears mm-hmm. to create, to elicit an emotional reaction, um, manipulative as it may be. Uh, and he said, what have you done? Have, has that happened? I said, yes, that has happened actually. And my my comment usually is, I'll wait until you're done crying so that we can continue our conversation. Yeah. And that might seem cold, but get over it. I'm going to we'll allow yeah. you to feel yeah. your emotion. Yeah. And then we can continue to the conversation. And I think good friends or true friends should be able to allow themselves to do that. 
Right, because the reflex is is I have to avoid any kind of there's an adversity, uh, an adverse nature to uncomfortable conversations and conflict. What if you could have a kind of a relationship, and maybe the three of you have that, where even something uncomfortable or unpleasant or something that could be conflictual can be talked to calmly mm-hmm. and unemotionally in that way. Uh, it can be done. I mean, that, that's what separates us from the animal kingdom. We can actually stop and say, wait a second, I'm about to blow up at somebody that I love, and that's going to cause such problems, and it could last for days. Let me pull back. Let me go to the bathroom, take five, mm-hmm. look at myself in the mirror, go back in there, and still you know, try to uh, push my point, but to do it in a kind, respectful way, the mm-hmm. way that I would want to be treated. That's really hard to do. And a lot of people don't like to be called out on things either. No. They don't. So. And I think I think a lot of people, especially at, at different stages of our life, I know that I like to believe that I'm infinitely better at dealing with conflict management or, or addressing someone who I don't agree with. I am much better now at this stage of my life than I was in my 20s. I think I was probably better than most because I learned from my family um, how to address uh, I never shied away from from conflict or difficult discussions because I, I saw that in my family. We we talked it out always, um, but I think I'm I'm better now just because I have more life experience. Yeah. I, so you work in the corporate world, right? Yes. So whenever you have to tell somebody, I don't know if you have to fire anybody every now and then, but whenever you have to tell somebody something that you are not happy about or whatever, my guess is you probably start with something positive. Mm -hmm. You probably say things about them that they've done well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like, you remember the five love languages, that famous book that everyone's crazy about? Oh my God, that was a while ago, yeah. Yeah, so two of them that I always relate to are words of affirmation and acts of service. But words of affirmation are exactly what we're talking about. It's what you say to somebody in any situation that usually brings down their guard and lets them hear what you're about to tell them. Mm. So whenever I teach couples to speak Mm. assertively as opposed to aggressively, always start with something like, look, I know you had a long day. I know we fought a lot. I know the pandemic is stressing you out. But I want to tell you something that when blah, 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 you know, like that. Mm -hmm. And that always brings anybody's Mm -hmm. guard down. Even the most difficult person will always bring their guard down. Just hearing John's example made me kind of calm. (laughs) You know I mean? Like I was almost receiving what you were saying. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. You would set up, you would do a setup and then deliver the the news you have for them. I like the speak assertively, not aggressively. And uh, I say in the corporate world, you can be aggressive and not be abrasive. Because yes. we, we value people that are mm-hmm. aggressive, decision makers, you know, take charge. All of those can be seen as aggressive. And sometimes we, we think that to be aggressive means you have to be abrasive. And I disagree right. with that. I think the most, the most powerful, the most effective leader is someone who we all feel confident that when the you-know-what hits the fan, that person's going to take charge. But they don't have to be a jerk about it. That's an assertive leader. That's yes. somebody that expresses their feelings and thoughts, leads, but does not dominate, does not control, does not criticize. The aggressive communicator uses volume, intimidation, domination, manipulation. That's an aggressive person. Then you also have passive communicators that don't say anything and they just withdraw. And that doesn't foster good relationships either because you don't know what they're thinking. So you never get your word out. Then there's the passive aggressive communicator which we know what that is. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, you do something indirectly. You're mad at me, but you don't want to confront me, so you do something indirectly to get me mad. That doesn't foster either. So you've got assertive, 
then you've got you know all the others in the bottom and assertive is the only way to go so once again it boils down to communication how to be a good communicator how to be a good listener a good mm-hmm. listener and how to build good friendships so john any and, other and, words and excuse me and also we also mentioned the ability to put ourselves in the other person's shoes hence to be able to practice empathy with somebody else even if we're really really angry communicate because this is our friend and mm-hmm. we want them in our lives Absolutely. And that, I, I think to me, is probably harder than actively listening when you're upset, mm-hmm. is, is to listen and, and have space in, in your heart and in your mind to really hear what they're saying and, 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 and get a sense of how they're feeling yeah. with what they're saying. Yeah, love to me, friendships too, but love is, it's an ability. It's not just a feeling. You, know, you can't just feel love and friendship for somebody. You actually have to do things, which is the things we just mentioned, the listening, the empathy. Um, Communication. And, and choosing mm-hmm. to, to, to communicate as assertively and as kindly as possible. And it doesn't matter how old you are either. Mm-hmm. No, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. So I've done this with elderly as well. Picking up on that, it's not just a feeling. It's, it's an action. It's, it's, you have to actively do things mm-hmm. to be a good friend. Mm-hmm. Any other words of wisdom that you can impart and, and share with us? So remember, because relationships can be complicated and mm-hmm. they can be hurtful, another great quote is, I'm full of quotes today. Is, <laughs> I like that. The, Sound bites. The cliche one is, you know, you've heard this, life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react to it. Mm-hmm. Well, think of how much we react to our personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Everybody that I've seen in the last 28 years that mm-hmm. has come into therapy Everyone has come in because they have problems with people in their lives that they're not getting along with. People that they love, people that they divorced, parents that are dying, kids are not getting along with, kids that have drugs or alcohol uh, in their system and, and, and struggling with that. Mm. So it's always a, I'm always teaching people how to communicate and how to relate. So how I react to all of these relationships, which again, I have chosen to be in and I want these people in my life, how I react to it is extremely important. That is, mm-hmm. I mean, that is just yeah. the, 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 the butt of it all. That is at the root of the root is you, as a psychotherapist, you are always dealing with communication and the relationship yeah. people, the inner relationship with they have with others, the relationship they have with themselves. I say the quality of communication you have with yourself is the quality of communication you're going to have, uh, allow others to have with you. Um, we'd love... I would love for you to come back and talk to us. I We didn't get a chance at this podcast, but as we were doing research for, for the whole topic that we have only scratched on the surface of friendship was the value, I think, societally, we place far more on romantic relationships than we mm-hmm. do our platonic relationships, which is where our friendships sit. Mm-hmm. Sean very aptly again said, well, wait a minute, is that just women? Because men may not. I don't know, but I know, I, I believe as a society we do, so we'd love for you to come back and, and talk to us about that and, and guide us as you always do to think about things differently. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to n- not end today without also thanking you for letting us, giving us the privilege to be a support and participate in the wonderful event that you're part of mm-hmm. um, in an organization, This Is My Brave. Uh, we were lucky enough to be there to witness the the transformation that happens for an individual who has gone through trauma in their life and has the opportunity to communicate, I would mm-hmm. like to believe, 
in front of an audience that was listening empathetically and lovingly. We didn't offer them a solution. We didn't offer them mm-hmm. advice. We just offered them our open hearts and our open ears. And I think I felt the love in that room. So thank you mm-hmm. for letting us be part of that. Thank you for Beautiful. creating. How a, are you a, taking that, John? I'm, I'm watching you react <laughs> to her words. How I love you? her words. I told yeah. you she's a soundbite machine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need that the next time we talk to the Brave headquarters. Um, yeah, that's 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 a great point. They just were there to express themselves. No one was saying, well, why didn't you try this? And why don't you try that? And why don't you go talk to this therapist? It's just them giving us the raw data of mm-hmm. their feelings in their lives. And that was the whole point. So yeah, destigmatizing mental illness is a cause that's been near and dear to my heart for a very long time. So it was right up my alley. Uh, it was a lot of work, but I would certainly do it again. And I'm so going to get you involved and probably the other, you two mm-hmm. as well. Sure. Um, so yeah, next year. For anyone listening, year. how do they find This Is My Brave? Is there, is there a website? or? Yeah, it's thisismybrave.org. Okay. And very soon on YouTube, you'll be able to see the This Is My Brave Los Angeles show 2022. Oh, it's wow. not up there yet. So you can watch a little vignette that we have about it. And you can also watch the whole show, which you don't have to do. But there are certainly highlights in there as well. And, um, you know, the idea is to flip the script, change the dialogue. And, you know, the, the main thing is, is what we said in the speech, which is, this is a good thing for everybody to remember, and this is the last thing I'll say is, remember, in the same way that uh, human organs, lungs, liver, heart, kidneys, can malfunction through no fault of our own, why can't the mind, mm-hmm. right? The mind just does sometimes. And because you can't see uh, mental illness on an x-ray, you can't see it on a CAT scan, you can't see it in a blood test, doesn't mean it's not there, mm-hmm. but it is there. There's too many people out there for us not to believe that it's not there. It's not a moral failing. It's not a weakness. It's actually a real thing, and we're getting closer to having more definition and more legitimacy about it. Well, thank you for talking about it on, sure. on this show, and, and we will always be strong supporters and advocate of that. And I'm, the last thing I'll say is I want to thank you for this beautiful gift. You always come with gifts. And, and <laughs> Tell us what it is, John. So it's a very small version of what we call a sound bowl, and a sound bowl, there's a whole science around sound baths, and that the ringing, and this is a true A, uh, which is su- supposedly the spiritually the most highest note that you can hit. Um, and when you hit the sound bowl and you feel the A, there are vibrations that supposedly enter your heart and your lungs and the rest of your body, and it's supposed to be extremely healthy. Well, let's let share it uh, with our listeners. Cecilia, you were going to say something? I was going to say, why don't we end this podcast with, do it. with a way to start teaching us all how to be better listeners so that we can open up our own selves to the sounds of life and we can share good love and good life with our friends. Thank Thanks you for again, listening. John. Right. And that will bring us to the end of another episode of Ends With Z. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please share and tell your friends. You can find out more about us at endswithz.com. For Cecile Munoz and executive producer Sean Moe, I'm Juan Fernandez. Have a good one, because above all else, you matter.